Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. Actually, I'm not in Canberra, Australia right now. I'm in Zurich, Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> at a conference. Yeah, I've uh, been at a ketogenic conference for the past couple of days, and I apologize for my broken voice, but I picked up a flu on the way over here. Oh, terrible. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in ketosis. Yeah, and reversing diabetes. Yep, and hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. We're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nine, mine here. Yeah, best. <laughs> we have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We share studies that we found in the show notes. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook and mm-hmm. we love to eat. Yep. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot be ignored. No, it cannot. No. So let's start podcast number 121, Kirsty Wood, low-carb exercise physiologist. Heard you say you're due for a little. So Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Uh, let's see, that was uh, show number 120, Dr. Toy Stapleton on adult onset type 1 diabetes. Uh, we actually have one, well actually, from Matt, who says, <laughs> the red liquid that escapes a steak it's not that it's not properly rested. It's not actually blood. It's myoglobin. So thank you, oh. Matt, for that correction. Okay. Well, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Ketogenic diet is any diet that puts you in a state of nutritional ketosis mm-hmm. where you're burning fat for fuel, and that fat comes either from your plate or from your body mm-hmm. or both. And yep. protein is moderate. It's one to one and a half grams of protein per every kilogram of lean body mass that you have or what you would weigh without body fat. Yeah, sure. And no carbohydrates. The only carbs that we get are uh, incidentals from vegetables or from nuts or from dairy. And yeah. uh, they're, they're not enough. You basically want to keep it under 20 grams a day. And that's it. Yeah, don't eat any sugar or any starch. No rice, no bread, no potatoes. But green leafy greens and uh, eggs, they've got a few little carbs, they're all fine. And ketoki fried chicken. Perfectly okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I almost hesitate to ask because it's going to be long, but I can't wait to hear your report from Switzerland. How was your week? Yeah. Well, so my week was interesting because I, I flew from Australia to Switzerland uh, to go to the Swiss Re and British Medical Journal Conference, uh, Food for Thought in Zurich. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, I, was, I, I flew over um, sandwiched between two Russians who were coughing the entire time. Oh, no. And it was a case of too, too many Russians and not enough vodka. Oh. And so I must have I picked up the <laughs> dreaded lurgy, and so <clears throat> I have my sexy phlegm. My apologies, everybody. So, um, I, yeah, I got a head cold. <laughs> well, luckily, we know that you need to feed a viral infection, so you should not be <laughs> fasting right now. 
And that's okay. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I had a big steak dinner last night, uh, and they've been feeding us well, actually. Uh, so, yeah, the, it, the conference is fascinating. There's the, the people here are just amazing. There's Ivor, there's Nina, there's Gary Taubes, there's Mark oh. Hyman, there's wow. um, Salim Yusuf, there's Walter Willett, Darius Mozafarian. Uh, I, I caught, I think I caught the sight of Kevin Hall at one point. There's uh, Stephen Finney, Sarah Hulberg, um, uh, a whole bunch so of people from New Zealand, and yeah, well, it's 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 fairly hardcore. I'm I'm like struggling to keep up with these people. I I feel I, I'm a little bit intimidated. I don't feel like I have any right to comment on some of this stuff because they're all they're all uh, either scientists or physicians or policy wonks, and yeah, all I am is a is a. He's a type 2 diabetic with a little podcast who t- helps <laughs> his friend turn a town ketogenic every year in New London, Connecticut. That's right. USA. <laughs> so that's it. So, so I did actually get to ask one question during the, the formal part of the com- uh, conference. So the first part of the conference, they had all of the traditional um, uh, experts in the nutrition space, which is no low-carb people at all. But the nice thing was we managed to have at least one person on every panel was able to talk for the low-carb message. So any when somebody on the panel said that ketogenic diets are impossible to do, Zoe Harkon was able to say, well, actually, no, thousands of people do ketogenic diets quite successfully and re- reverse their type 2 diabetes. Or Sarah Halberg was able to say, you know, we've got uh, – when somebody said there's no – randomized controlled trials she was able to say well actually we do have a controlled trial which and is about to publish two-year data so it was really good to be able to have our people at least on the stage you know but they weren't giving the lectures the lectures were all from people like Walter yeah. Willett and Darius Mosafarian and Jenny Brand Miller um, and so you know the the, the 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 orthodoxy and now the second two days are just the low-carb people getting together and talking about how we how we move forward, um, and uh, that's really a, a policy um, discussion between um, all these experts in the in the space. So, did you find that uh, people who were sort of not hip to the ketogenic diet were actually interested in hearing more about it based on the science that was presented, or the you know Zoe and uh, all these people talking about it? So. Yeah, so none of our science really was presented except in the panel sessions as a response. Um, but it's kind of two tribes who will always ignore each other, unfortunately. And so there was a bit of that going on. Part of the the goal of the people who put it on, BMJ and Swiss Re, was to try and get some kind of consensus moving forward. It's great. And one interesting thing about the consensus, there was some points of consensus agreed upon. I mean, everybody agreed that, that sugar in the diet is, is unnecessary. Right. Um, not everybody agreed that carbohydrates were unnecessary, right? But we had we had people, you know, uh, Professor Tim Spector was talking about the gut biome. I mean, he's a he's he is the expert on the gut biome, yeah. And he was making a fairly good case that you need some carbohydrates in the gut to get to the lower gut to feed your your biome to to produce uh, short chain fatty acids to feed the lining of your gut. So isn't that interesting? You know, it is, and you know, you could just uh, uh, I, I, as a low carb person, I'm quite happy to take some Jerusalem artichokes because that's exactly what they do. So, <laughs> yes. but anyway, so, uh, so I, I did get to ask one question, and this was Salim Yusuf, who did the who was the lead uh, author of the Pure study. Right, they discovered a uh, weak association uh, with uh, carbohydrates and uh, all cause mortality, and uh, a negative correlation 
but a weak one between uh, fat and um, all-cause mortality. But the most important thing was they found no association between saturated fat and cardiovascular disease, which right. is the big thing. So anyway, my question um, from the audience, uh, uh, Steve Finney just asked a question and then he handed the microphone over to me. And I, I basically said, you know, the Pure study, Salim Yusuf was on stage. I said, well, and they hadn't even mentioned the saturated fat non-association. I mm. said, well, you know, Nina Teicholz said yesterday the only data that she will accept uh, or the data that she's most willing to accept is a, is a lack of, uh, of association from epidemiology because that can infer a lack of causation. Right. And, and the chief editor of the British Medical Journal, Fiona Goodley, uh, declared after that uh, that the one takeaway, one of the takeaways that we can take away from this conference is we can put a line under under saturated fat now. It does not cause cardiovascular disease. There you go. And Darius Mazafarian and Salim Yusuf both said from the stage, yeah, there's been 13 or 14 studies that have all shown that cardio, yeah, that cardiovascular disease is not associated with uh, with uh, <laughs> with saturated fat. And Walter Willett, who was sitting in the front row, his hair didn't explode. So you know, wow. I guess we could take it as red now. Saturated fat is all okay. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, so that was my that was my week. That is one uh, heck of yours. a week, my friend. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, I, I, my voice sounds like I've uh, been gargling concrete. So, how was your week? <laughs> well, my week was really good. My daughter Emmy, as I said last week, uh, came to stay with me, and nice. she wanted to, you know, just be in an environment that was completely non carbohydrate and no sugar and nobody putting ice cream in your face or whatever. So mm -hmm. uh, we cooked every day and um, every night had cooked dinner. The thing that we did last night is a recipe I'm going to share and is also part of next week's, next Saturday's, I guess you would say this Saturday, June 23rd's uh, Keto Mini Fest, and that is Ketoki Fried Chicken. Right. So that's going to be my recipe. I just, I won't give it away now, but just let me say... Colonel's rolling over in his grave. <laughs> nice. Other things that happened uh, was I got all the permits and payments in for Keto Fest. So that's Excellent. all good. Mm -hmm. Everybody's happy about that. And also, uh, we started lining up this week a new swag giveaway that's going to start next week. And what we essentially want to do, dear listeners, is give away not just a signed copy of Lies My Doctor Told Me or a coffee mug or anything like that. It, you know, we're giving away that book now in, mm. in, yeah. in just a few minutes. But we want to give a treasure trove of gifts to the winner. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So what we've done is we've gone out to vendors of products that we really like, and we've right. all got them on board to, you know, chip in a little bit on the Patreon account and... To, you know, these are products that have been vetted by us. We like their products. Sure. Sure. And uh, they're going to chip in and send the winner, you know, uh, uh, one of their products. So nice. all of the products that we give away in the giveaway will be on a web page that we will link uh, this week sometime. It'll probably be giveaway.2keto.com. In fact, I can guarantee it will be giveaway.2keto.com. <laughs> and there you'll see all of the stuff that everybody gets when they win in the middle of the show, which is what we're going to do right now. Nice. So, Carl, tell the listeners how they could join the fan club. Yeah, so it's very easy. You just go to fanclub.2keto.com and you answer a few questions and then you're automatically qualified to be picked at random every week by us to win 
swag. And this will be the last show that we just give away one piece of swag. As I said, next show, it's going to be a whole bunch of stuff. So you really want to go to fanclub.2keto.com and sign up if you haven't already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Cal, who's the winner? So today's winner is Rhonda Clausing. Congratulations, Rhonda. And Rhonda just won a signed copy of Lies My Doctor Told Me by Dr. Ken Berry, which is a great book and one that I'm doing the audible version of that should be ready very soon. Yeah. And uh, congratulations, Rhonda. Yeah, that's true. You, you're going to have to stop saying it's a great book once you're the, <laughs> the producer <laughs> of the audio book. <laughs> of course, if you don't want to wait to win some swag, you can always buy all sorts of it online at gear.2keto.com. That's right. And that brings us to this little section we call... I actually have the shaggy voice. (laughs) It's a little fuzzy. Yeah, it keeps breaking. So what do you got, Cal? So I have a a post from our great big success thread in the Mm -hmm. ketogenic forums, which you can get to at success.2keto.com. And this is one of our admins, Andrew Duffy. And he posted some good before and after pictures, and here's what he says. Like Carl and many others, I've done low-carb over the years, but until going keto, never managed to stick with it over the long term. I did Atkins in my late 20s, early 30s, and lost a good 30 pounds, but got married, bought a house, and in the transition, couldn't keep up with Atkins, went off, and gained the weight back and then some. I think Carl's point about Atkins' mistake being adding back in the carbs is a good one, since for me, at least more carbs equals wanting more carbs. Right. And by the way, he uses the double equal sign, which is the sign of a JavaScript programmer. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I also fast occasionally, sometimes spontaneously, for example, when I'm traveling. That's a nice side effect of ketosis, being able to slide naturally into a fast when it's more convenient than trying to find something keto to eat. Having got up to a peak of around 245, I've since lost 50 plus pounds and I've kept that off. I've gotten as low as in the 170s, but of late seem to be cycling in the low 190s, probably in part due to resistance training and adding muscle. Also probably a bit because of lazy keto too, if I'm honest, but having kept off more than 50 pounds is something I'm very happy with. Keep calm and keto on. Well done, Andrew. Yeah, it is something to be happy about. I'm looking at the photos of Andrew, and you can see in his before photos, he has he he has no no jawline, and right. this is common in right. in uh, people who are uh, type two diabetic or or on that uh, continuum. And mm. in the after photos, he's regained his jawline, and you see this often. That uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we put on a lot of excess energy underneath our jaws because it's just a quick and easy place to store it. Right. So. Yeah, no, he he's he looks like a completely different man in the in the after photo. Totally, and and you know what he says is essentially my experience as well, right? I've yeah. I've kept eighty pounds off, and you know for two years, and I go vacillating about ten pounds. Yeah, so I was talking to Doctor Westman about that uh, exact thing about uh, fifteen minutes ago. And he huh. said that, uh, <laughs> did you like how I just name dropped? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, never name drop. That's what he said. 
<laughs> he did. But Eric Westman will be at Keto Fest. So for anybody who goes to Keto Fest, you too will be able to name drop Eric Westman in That's conversation. Right. So he was saying that um, once you get to your uh, plateau, uh, you have to calorie restrict to get below that. Hmm. I totally believe that. Um, but, you know, the point is that the plateau is not necessarily a bad place. And uh, if you want to learn more about that, uh, look for the obesity paradox. And this is, you often see when, when somebody refers to something as a paradox, it means that there's something about our dogma that we've got wrong. Right. And in this particular case, uh, people who are obese, uh, pe- people who are just overweight have 40% more chance of surviving uh, in hospital for uh, simple bacterial infections. Mm. And fif- and people who are obese have an even greater chance, <laughs> a better chance of surviving. So there are some some uh, benefits to being obese. And one of the, uh, it, you know, once you've, once you've got rid of cardiovascular disease and diabetes and uh, and uh, hypertension that normally travel along with uh, obesity, you know, it just becomes an issue of, uh, you know, maybe it's injury causing, but it's certainly not disease. It's not a disease state anymore. Right. So uh, anyway, that so, uh, but that that was uh, Eric Westman is certainly, and and I agree with him. If you get if you hit a plateau and then you need to lose more weight, you really have to calorie restrict. And the problem with caloric restriction, of course, is you go on the yo-yo. So as soon as you stop calorie restricting, yeah. you come back up again. Yeah, I think fasting is the answer. Yeah, fasting is definitely useful. It's definitely yeah. a, a useful trick. So my mail is uh, is a direct message that I got from Rippled Mind, and he says, <laughs> "Hi, Richard from." This is uh, a rippled mind from the Gold Coast, and um, April 2014 is when I started. That Easter, I spent in the Gold Coast Hospital with a triple bypass after a myocardial infarct walking to Domino's for gluten-free pizza. I was eating Heart Foundation, and that got me to 102 kilograms. Uh, It was about 235, 240 pounds. Yeah. Um, He says, now I'm 83 kilograms. It's about 170 pounds, and... I'm now I've gone I've gone keto I've gone primal I've gone paleo and now I'm back to keto and I'm even fasting on and off since 2008. Thank you for the keto dudes for inspiring me. Uh, I love your scientific explanations. Thank you very much. So uh, rip, rippled mind, uh, congratulations on your recovery and you are very welcome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to go to the interview now, which is an interview that I did in Perth, Australia. Uh, I think it's the, the second last of the Perth interviews. So this is from Kirsty Wood. She's an exercise physio. Uh, so let's go to the interview. Okay. So I'm here with Kirsty Wood in uh, low-carb Perth. And uh, so tell me about your role here. Uh, so I am an exercise physiologist at a um, metabolism and weight loss clinic for metabolic health solutions. Nice. Um, really focusing on how we can make people more metabolically healthy to combat diseases that are overtaking the world, such as diabetes, uh, fatty liver, metabolic syndrome, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yeah, nice. Well, I, I actually have type 2 diabetes, or I guess I don't really have it anymore. Because, remission? Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I don't know whether the answer, whether we, officially we were in remission, but as far as I'm concerned, I've got none of the symptoms. Yeah. And uh, if I if I was to go on like a the diet that, that the dietitians want me to go on, which is you know, 300 grams of carbs a day, uh, I, I'd be diabetic within a year, you know. So, uh, so I guess you know, it, in theory, that I'm managed by diet. I'm non-diabetic through diet. Yeah. You're managing, so you're managing your uh, 
fuel tanks, but um, yeah. as with anything, you can switch back. Yeah, I, th- I think if I was to go, on, I, I wouldn't be able to be metabolically flexible with a high glucose diet. So. Yeah, so we actually um, have the luxury of doing me- metabolic testing in our clinic, right. and we call it our lie detector test, <laughs> particularly in diabetics. Yeah. If they have, you know, a takeout of a bit of cake the night before, we can see them glucose burning. Nice. So I did that test at Low Carb uh, Gold Coast. John, yes. John put me on it. And my RQ was 0.69. So, yes. So, so you're doing what, what something right. So what that tells me is um, because of your ratio of oxygen and carbon dioxide, which we um, test, is we can see that you're burning fat. Because when you burn fat as opposed to glucose, you use and give off different amounts of those. Right. So I would say is it is a lie detector test. You were obviously eating well, at least for that week, particularly yeah. amongst the people you were with. <laughs> yeah. So he gave me a whole bunch of uh, details about He told me what my basal metabolic weight was, uh, well, my total energy expenditure for the day was, which was 2,700 kilocalories, yep. which is not bad. That means yep. that I, you know, I have, it means that I, w- I haven't been obviously calorically restricted in the past. You've got a big fuel tank. Yeah. And I'm using it and I'm going yep. through it. So, um also, he told me that my mitochondrial function, um, he, he told me that the person who had the highest was Eamon O'Sullivan. Yeah. And, but he said, mine's really good, really highly athletic for somebody who's, I'm not that athletic, I, I yeah. cycle and stuff, but, um, but he said it was, you know, it was quite efficient. So. so you're doing some of the right things and most probably have a bit of genetics in terms of your mitochondrial efficiency on your side, which is sometimes seen when we get mother-daughter, right. father-son combos as well. Okay, so my dad played rugby for, for Queensland yeah. and played water polo for Australia. And so, yeah. you know, he's, he's uh, Australian universities, I think. It wasn't <laughs> actually Australia. But, yeah. Um, so, uh, and I think back then, this was like in the 60s, most rugby players played water polo f- during the off-season. So, um, so he's the only real athlete we got in the family. But, uh, yeah, you're probably right. I probably And you males tend to be more some. efficient than us females, more <laughs> muscle mass something's going in your favor so yeah. you guys win there yeah uh, i'm sorry about that but anyway <laughs> it, it is what it is so um you you guys um you girls uh put fat in better places more metabolically safer places than than us guys so uh, we tend to put fat around the the tr- trunkal area as they say and it's not a good place to be storing energy. Yes, there's good and bad with both, isn't it? Yeah. Battle of the sexes. Yeah. So, so you're an exercise physiologist, yes. and you and you uh, you train people um, and use the metabolic testing to be able to work out. It, it's really a benchmark, I guess, for how good, well their training's going. Yeah. So, a little bit of a summary is. Being an exercise physiologist gives me an advantage of not sticking to any particular rules, but having a look at things from a physiology perspective. Right. And what I need to know is that what you eat actually impacts what fuels you burn during exercise as well. So that's how it all started, how I came into this role. And then obviously you've got the functions of hormones, medication, sleep, and that also impacts your metabolism. So we can't have a look one without the other. It's got to be you know, really having a look at what's going on with your physiology. And so we generally start with, as I said, diet, because that even dictates what we use during exercise. And once we're we're confident with that, we've got someone fat burning, investigated any other issues arising with their GP as well, um, we can then have a look at exercise. Right. We all know someone who goes to the gym and slogs it out in the gym and doesn't lose weight. Yeah. They're likely metabolically inflexible, mm. most probably burning glucose. So if they're burning glucose at rest, doing high-intensity interval training, releasing adrenaline and cortisol, which is going to tell their body to burn more glucose, right. they've got no, no hope in hell. Yeah. Um, so that's they're, just, they're just one of the yeah. ways we can yeah. use 
key data to personalise um, that exercise intervention, particularly if we find, um, you know, that a client's having a metabolic decline due to their weight loss. Obviously, we can address underfeeding, but if they don't have enough metabolically active tissue, we can look at resistance-based training along sure. with having a look at their body composition, fat and muscle, to make sure that they're doing the right sort of training yeah. to maintain that metabolic rate yeah. so they don't get that regain, which is often why we don't see a um, a Biggest Loser reunion show because uh, <laughs> right. they did have a study of a few of um, those clients or participants and showed that they had a, a more than expected metabolic decline then related to the surface area, i.e. the weight they lost. Sure. Well, that's that's the thing. Kevin Hall, the, the, the principal investigator in that, biggest loser study uh he spent like a decade on this metabolic model of his where he can he can he thinks he can determine how much weight you're going to put on or lose based on what you eat and uh it didn't his model broke down with the biggest loser contestants because the theory is if you are a bigger person you're going to have a high metabolic rate and if you're a smaller person you have a lower metabolic rate and so as you start from you know you you you're a subject and the biggest loser. You're a big person, obviously. You go into the competition, you become a small person, your metabolic rate goes down. Well, they all put on the weight after six years. And the theory would have that um, you, uh, when you put on the weight back up, you sh- your metabolic rate should go back up again. They didn't the, quite see that, did they? Theirs went down. Mm. And the interesting thing about that was their RQ stayed about the same. So they're eating the same kind of food, obviously probably eating more. But their um, their energy expenditure, their calories of expenditure per kilogram of body weight, stayed the same from when they finished the competition to six years later. But they put on all that body weight, so they they were actually doing more work on the treadmill after yeah. six years and seeing no benefit. And this is why we can't really look at things simplistically. And obviously, the way the body uses fuel can be changed by diet. Mm. And there's two schools of thought: yeah, eat what you want as long as it's the right food. Yeah. Well, studies like this show us that. Obviously, metabolic rate and energy intake do play a role. But as I said, if you're not burning fat, mm. you're going to have a lot of difficulty because you're going to be tired, hungry, um, and not accessing the fuel that you need for weight loss as well. Yeah, absolutely. So how long have you been involved with MHS? Uh, I'm coming up to my seventh year. They wow. say time yeah. flies when you're having fun, <laughs> Yeah. Um, which is a real blessing in disguise. Um some university students might be able to relate. You've got a degree, you've got all this training, spent a lot of money, and you can't find a job. Right. Um, in one week, I got offered a job in my current role, as well as um, I'm from WA, so a lot of FIFO work, fly in, fly out, and yep. also giving people um, arm exercises each day to help with their rotator cuff. So I should so, mention for our American audience, WA is uh, West Australia, it's not Washington, and <laughs> uh, flying FIFO is flying fly out. In Western Australia, there's a lot of uh, uh, remote mining communities, and so a lot of people live in Perth, and then they fly, they, 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 they have it like a seven days on the job and seven days at home or what have you, and, and so they fly into a, into a remote mine, work in the mine for, you know, 20 hours a day or something. I, I did this as a, I worked on a gold mine in, in, in uh, the Solomon Sea, similar kind of thing. But, um, uh, yeah, so, and then so, so you get to see a lot of these people when they come, come back and they've, d- they've done no exercise for the time that they're on site. And now they're coming back and their bodies are starting to fall apart. So Yeah, so actually a lot of my patients are FIFO. But um, so I essentially had a choice is um, I really saw what um, this small proof of concept clinic and the small team really had to offer. So I went there and as I said, I, I definitely think I've made the 
right choice reflecting on it. Mind you, there has been some challenging times and the first one was knowing I've spent um, been 20 grand in hex debt knowing that I had to unlearn everything I learned at uni because through testing I was able to see that the generalised messages and methods we were given unfortunately weren't working in, in real life patients but yeah. once again is I had the luxury of, of testing to actually see what worked, what helped people burn fat, what helped maintain metabolic rate, what helped them become more efficient and also what helped them maintain that muscle mass through body composition testing and increase fat and that's how I actually came across low carb yeah um in that way and not necessarily is the key is is i don't say low carb low fat i say low carb healthy fat because a lot of that's different for a lot of people and that's what as i said testing and refinement enables me to do in the clinic as well so i do ramble a bit i'm obviously (laughs) really passionate because i see some of the results that we um we get in the clinic, but it's not to say it's with, not without its challenges. No, I could, I could imagine. We, we uh, as a program, I'm, I'm a computer programmer, my podcast co-host Carl Franklin is as well. And when we're when we're trying to debug a program, what we do is we try and uh, we we basically put something called a watch window on variables. So it basically shows us as we're running through the program how all of the variables that determine how the program's going to run are changing and this is something that you guys have you actually have a watch window in the, on the metabolism so you can actually see how things change and this was kind of like we, when diabetics got access to home glucometers all of a sudden they could actually see how food was affecting them and you know that that the glu- the home glucometer is one of the reasons why we have a low carb uh, um, movement at, at all because all these people had glucose monitors and they wait a minute I eat you know I eat a, a, a profiterol or I eat a piece of white bread or whatever and all of a sudden my glucose is going out of control so and it comes back to the premise you can't manage what you don't measure right um, and that's that's one of the things um, that we say in the clinic and a really good analogy I use for that is Whenever it comes to anything else related to health, as you talk about blood glucose meters, blood pressure, for example, you go to a GP, you get your blood pressure checked. No matter how much experience they have, they still check it. Imagine if you walked into that GP office and based on your height and your weight and how much you weigh, they guess your blood pressure. (laughs) Right. You'd be pretty annoyed and walk out. Yeah. That's what we're doing, assuming a large person has a slow metabolic rate or assuming that they're burning fat like the fuel book, like the physiology textbooks say. Yeah, so, and we can't wow. do that. <laughs> so, how many things can your uh, this MHS device uh, determine? Uh, it has a look at metabolic rate, whether it's fast or slow, in simplistic yeah. terms. Has a look at fuel utilization, so the two main fuels of the body, fat and glucose. Yeah. And the last one it has a look at is efficiency, the way that oxygen is able to flow into the cells or the cells mitochondria, the powerhouses of the cell which produce energy. Yeah. Like a car, the more efficient you are. the better you run. And the really great thing about this is we can often see changes in metabolism within three to five days and continue to monitor those before you throw the scale against the wall because it's not working. So it's a real good way of actually seeing whether what you're doing is working. If it's not, you need to change things up. But also motivating seeing change when, as we we know, is... um, Scales are a poor indicator on, on, on how your health is tracking overall. Yeah. I mean, a scale is going to measure a lot of uh, hydration changes. 
Yeah, I mean, I go up or down four kilograms based on whether I've I've uh, gone on a bike ride and and if I'm well hydrated. So you know, the scale is a really poor it's a poor measure of that yeah. of, your, of your moral worth. I mean, people say, oh my god, the, you know, the, the scale is just you know telling me I'm 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 eating eating wrongly. No, maybe not. Maybe it's maybe you you maybe your body's responding appropriately to the food that you're giving, but you know your metabolic rate is low or. And as you say, yeah. this 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 can tell you how how well your mitochondria are running. It it'll tell you what your metabolic rate is, and it'll tell you what kinds of fuel you're burning. Yeah, and, which is a lot different from what kind of fuel you're eating. Yeah. So as a, as you say, you can't really judge a book by its cover. But what it also does is it really helps overcome some of those challenges. As I said, is um, motivation is a huge one. Mm. Um, but if we've got time, I wouldn't mind even with all this. We've talked about how great testing and measurement is it's not to say it's still easy I understand that it's challenging and, and what I find um, for patients is one of the most challenging things and some of your listeners may relate is they might need to eat differently than their family and friends highlighting that everyone is different oh, right yeah. okay so yeah. that is still a challenge and I do recognize that but also at the same time we've got to recognize that you know for example being overweight and sick is hard. Yes. So I use the term choose your heart to a client. Do you want to be sick and overweight? Right. Or do you want to actually have to maybe, yes, it is challenging, but prepare meals um, and maybe so n- say no in a social situation. So choose your heart. Um, and, and often, as I said, is they come in, um, you know, they don't have the energy to play with their kids. Um, they've got really fatty liver, they're fatigued, they can't walk up the stairs because the, the joints and pain in their joints and things like that. So it's generally, um, you know, let's let's prepare and let's help educate and support you through those challenging times. And a really good analogy I like to use is, for example, celiacs, even in kids, is they have a hard time. You don't think that they want to go right. to a party and say no to, yeah. um, you know, all the cakes yeah. that a kid's having. They might need to prepare their own or not have them. Yes, it is challenging, but what they do that's different is it's a medical condition. So that's what I say and a tip that may be useful for so- some of you guys is if you're having a hard time saying, no, I'm trying to lose weight, it's perceived a lot differently to saying, no, I'm, ha- I'm not having that because I've been diagnosed with non-alcoholic fatty liver or no, I've got diabetes. Yeah. Or if that doesn't work, so try and medicalize your condition. Yeah. It can make it easier to say no or eat differently. If that doesn't work, just say my exercise physiologist said so <laughs> because it sounds really smart and no one knows what we do so they won't question it. <laughs> That's awesome, Kirsty. So uh, thanks for that. Um, uh, it's been a uh, it's been a great conference here. We, we're, we're in, as I say, in, in University of Western Australia. It's a lovely, beautiful day in, in the sun. It's a little bit windy in the background and there's a there's a, a kid playing with a bashing a a, uh, a rock in the in the background. So that's <laughs> the audio that you might have heard in the background. But uh, you know, thank you very much for uh, joining the podcast and uh, and uh, thanks for inviting me to the conference. No, thank you. It's um, It's been a great experience and, and happy to help as many people as we can. Could you save your due for a little? That's fascinating, Richard. Great interview. 
Yeah, it's good to hear from an exercise physiologist because these guys are normally uh, sort of low-fat, low-calorie <laughs> Absolutely. Um, people. And so, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, it's interesting when you get that metabolic window, you get to put a watch window on somebody's metabolism. Mm. Um, you get to see how it's really running and, you know, then you can make an intervention like a low-carb diet and see how that works. Very good. And thank you, Kirsty, for uh, agreeing to be interviewed. Uh, I'm sure everybody's going to love it as much as we did. Are you being peckish? I'm a little bit puckish. <laughs> right, then. <laughs> I think it's time for some recipes. Recipes. Who always gets the last word in. <laughs> what you got, Carl? Okay, well, as I said, uh, Emmy and I did some experimenting with Kitoki fried chicken, and the right. recipe is on the blog. As of now, it doesn't have any pictures, but it will soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the result of testing different variations to come up with the best fried chicken recipe. And, you know, there are a lot of recipes on the interwebs claiming to be the best knockoff of America's favorite fried chicken spice and herb blend. It just yeah. took a little tweaking and keto-fying to make it work for me. Nice. So Emmy and I ultimately did three versions of the spice blend. The first one mm-hmm. used black pepper instead of white pepper. And the second right. batch with the white pepper needed a little more salt and I thought a little more sage, but I put too much sage in, so we dialed it down a little bit and then it was perfect. Cool. We also fried the chicken in three different fats, peanut oil, lard, which is pork fat, of course, and tallow, which is beef fat. Yeah. The tallow one hands down. Yeah, absolutely. I don't like peanut oil for frying. Well, the peanut oil fried chicken was flavorless, so that yeah. you didn't taste peanuts or anything. It was just sort yeah, of sure. oil, right? And the, the chicken cooked in lard was too porky. We both agreed that because you have pork rinds, and on top of that, you're cooking in lard. It's just a little too porky. But yeah. the tallow fried chicken was crispy and delicious. It's saturated fat. That's why the peanut oil is sort of uh, omega-6 uh, mm. polyunsaturated fats, whereas tallow is saturated fat and monounsaturates. Yeah. Yum. Uh, it also happens to be the healthiest fat you can fry in, just as Richard mentioned. I was lucky enough to find a local butcher that sells it, so I would recommend spending some time to find a good, reliable source. The other thing I notice about tallow, because this is really the first time I've deep-fried in it. I know, Brenda. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll do penance with you at Keto Fest. Um, <laughs> the the first the, the first time you use it, you notice that it's really um, solid at room temperature. Like it's sure. it's hard at room temperature. Yep. Whereas lard is a little bit soft, unless you get the homogenized lard, which I don't recommend. But real lard is a little bit soft. It's a little softer. It's not soft, but it's softer. It's got more monounsaturated fat in it, same yeah. fat that's in olive oil. Yeah. But, you know, uh, and the other thing was we we used two Dutch ovens for the animal fats and we used the fryer for the peanut oil. And because right. of that, I had a hell of a time keeping the uh, temperature constant because it's over a propane burner, right? Yeah. My sure. range is propane. So I, had a, I have a laser thermometer. You just basically point and click. You point it at yeah. the... Uh, the you know, the whatever that you want to take the temperature of, and it shoots a laser beam yeah. and it tells you exactly how much. Thank you, Alton Brown, for that little uh, tip on Good Eats many years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I noticed it fluctuating wildly. So, other than that, um, I think the key is to use beef tallow and use it in an electric fryer, which you can more accurately control the temperature of. Okay, so here's the ingredients. 
a whole chicken in pieces. Yep. Uh, two quarts of beef tallow. Mm-hmm. If you need more for the size of your fryer, okay. You want to make sure that the chicken is completely covered. You want one egg white. And I thought this was an interesting addition to the recipe because, you know, when you do an egg wash, you do that so that the coating will stick. Well, it's sure. the white that makes it stick, not the yolk. Yep. That's true. So just use an egg white. Mm-hmm. Um, four ounces of pork rinds. They usually come in bags around where I live of three to four ounces or three and a half, something like that. So you might need a couple bags. Just weigh it out. Mm-hmm. And three ounces of Colby Jack cheese shredded. Now, the reason I use Colby Jack is because it's a mild cheese and it doesn't impart too much flavor. Just regular old Monterey Jack would be good as well. Uh, but right. I found this um, Colby Jack cheese and I used that. All right. You ready for the magic spice mix? Yes. Here it is. Me. One tablespoon of paprika, two teaspoons of onion powder. Now, I know you don't like onion powder, but you know, I have to use onion powder at my house because my wife is allergic to onions. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. In a spice mix, onion powder is going to work. Yeah. Yep. A teaspoon of chili powder, two teaspoons of white pepper, a teaspoon mm. of salt, a half a teaspoon of celery salt, one and a half teaspoons of dried mm. sage, you know, sage powder, yeah. a half a teaspoon of garlic powder, a half a mm. teaspoon of ground allspice, a half a teaspoon of dried oregano, half a teaspoon of dried basil, and a half a teaspoon of dried marjoram. Nice. I think the sage and the white pepper are the key players here, but you, you tell me. I want to know what everybody else thinks. So here you go. Um, you heat the tallow to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. You want to combine the pork rinds, the cheese, and the spices in a food processor until the rinds are pulverized and powdered and move that to a large bowl or a plate. You want to dry each chicken piece of the paper towel. You want to make sure it's dry before you dip it into the egg white and then completely coat it with the egg white and completely coat it in the pork rind mixture and then place that on a tray to dry for about five minutes before you drop it in the fryer. You just want that um, egg white to go to work and dry like a glue dry all that stuff to the outside. Mm. So for frying time, you fry the breasts and wings for about 12 to 14 minutes and the legs and thighs for 14 to 16 minutes. So I would do one of those batches first and then the other second. In either case, you got to wait until the internal temperature, the thickest part of the meat is 165 Fahrenheit. And yes, I would go so far as to, you know, pull it out, drop a thermometer inside. Yeah. And if it's, too cold you don't want to eat it uh and then you place it on paper towels let it rest for three or four minutes and serve it hot it's nice it it was uncanny how close it was yeah sounds good yep that's what i got what do you got uh so my recipe is going to be uh swiss inspired because i'm in the land of cheese and the land of chocolate (laughs) today the recipe is going to be very cheese based uh now i most people don't know this i actually lived uh, for a year in Switzerland when I was a kid, um, and I lost my first tooth eating cookies in, in uh, called speculas, which are a fancy cookie here. But anyway, wow. I digress. So this recipe is going to be fondue. This is a typically mm. uh, typically Swiss as you can get, but it's not particularly keto because when you make fondue, you want to get the cheese to emulsify with the wine. You need to add cornstarch, and of course, cornstarch is just starch. Uh, but uh, I, I found a recipe on mypcoskitchen.com, which has a keto cheese fondue that uses xanthan gum. 
and it does it does a really good job of making a fairly authentic uh, Swiss recipe. So here goes the recipe. You're going to start with 150 grams of either an Emmentaler cheese or a Beaufort cheese and grated, and then you're going to have 150 grams of Gruyere grated. Nice. Uh, and then 250 grams of Comte. Now, Comte is a cheese, it's a French cheese very close to the Swiss border. So and I know Raymond Blanc uh, particularly likes Comte in his uh, cheese fondue. So added to that, we're going to have 250 mils of Sauvignon Blanc, just or any white wine. You can go for a, a uh, lower carb white wine if you can get one. Um, you could probably use champagne, which is an even lower carb. Mm. Uh, and you're going to also need one clove of garlic and one to one and a half teaspoons of xanthan gum. Mm. Now, for fondue, you, there are two ways of doing fondue. You can do fondue in a metal pan or you can do it in a ceramic pan. For cheese fondue, I like to do it in a ceramic pan because the pan contains some thermal mass and it, it keeps the cheese warm. Yeah. So even after your burn has gone off, uh, it still maintains the warmth. So what you're going to start off with, you're going to get a, a ceramic fondue pot. You're going to put a flame underneath it, and you're going to get your garlic clove, and you're going to rub it around the inside of the of the pot. This is a traditional uh, Swiss technique, right? Um, and it's this is it, there's uh, there's some kind of myth about why that makes a difference with fondue, and uh, you know, most Swiss people reckon that they can tell the difference between a um, a garlic clove that's been rubbed properly on the surface and one that hasn't. So anyway, you're going to basically take uh, – you're going to put the, the white wine in the pot and throw that garlic clove that you've rubbed all over it in there and you, you basically put it on a – you put it on a medium heat until the, the wine is simmering. Mm-hmm. And then you slowly add a bit of the cheeses into the wine while mixing with a silicon spatula. And, uh-huh. and you only add a little bit at a time, so you, you're trying to, to encourage it to slowly melt. Um, and once all the cheese has been added, you'll notice that the cheese and alcohol haven't mixed well together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you want to do is you want to add a teaspoon of xanthan gum and always continue whisking and because otherwise you don't want it clumping. Right, and the cheese fondue should start to thicken, and it'll start to emulsify, and so that, uh, and so you'll you'll lose that separation between the alcohol or the wine and the um, cheese. So if it still hasn't mixed together properly, just add an extra quarter t- uh, teaspoon of xanthan gum, one one at a time and t- until it does. And so you really want to go slowly with that stuff because you put too too much in, and it'll be clumpy as. So anyway, uh, once it's all mixed together, you turn the heat to low and you start dipping your ingredients into it and i would suggest for ingredients you can try uh parboiled uh broccoli or cauliflower so you just basically chop a cauliflower into little florets put it mm-hmm. in the microwave for like 30 seconds and yeah. then you just put those under a fork and chuck those in it's like uh cauliflower gratin wow that's great you could also do sausages like bits of uh, chorizo of course up a little you know Cut a, cut a chorizo up into slices and fry it up and then stick those on your fork and all sorts of wonderful things, things you can dip into cheese. Sure. I mean, um, I'm thinking oopsie bread, right? If you want that bread experience without the carbs, yeah. you know. You could that do that, good. yeah, absolutely. As long as it doesn't yeah, disintegrate because, you know, that's kind of kind of frail that too, compared yeah. to that cheese. Mm. Yeah, that's true. So that's what I got. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds very Swiss too. <laughs> yes. Very nice. Well, I guess that's a show, my friend. Yeah, of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, something more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at dudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, and Instagram at 2KetoDudes. 
make sure to use the hashtag 2KetoDudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, you know, t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. And come to KetoFest 2018. We're going to have a big party. Go to KetoFest.com. You can also see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And check out my cooking videos at carlsketokitchen.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how you people get to know about what we do. Yes, sir. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Keep calm, keto on, and fast when you can. Yeah, Carl, keep calm and keto on, and keto fest at least once a year. (laughs) Yeah, right. All right, and we'll see you next time. On Two Keto Dudes. Dudes.